Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of the Democrat Serve podcast. I'm here as always with my wonderful co-host, Robert Asensio. Hey Brett, how are you? Doing well. And thanks, Robert, as always, for joining. And today we have a very special guest in uh, a friend and congressional candidate in California's 45th district, uh, which is a, a very new district after redistricting. A lot of, obviously, a lot of movement everywhere, including California, but... Uh, Adisha Pai, who is has a fantastic public service background, and uh, him and I worked together in Montana for uh, friend Steve Bullock. And uh, Adisha, welcome. Thanks, Brett, and nice to meet you, Robert. Likewise, likewise, I've been reading up on you. Uh, Brett, the fresh air, man, a young professional. Let's see, Cambridge graduate, uh, Harvard lost. Professor, but I don't want to cut your steel, man. I want to get you. I want to. I want to get into the conversation. And I don't mean no pun intended on steel, which we'll get into in a minute, right? <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, thanks for the kind words, and, and great to meet you. I've heard a lot and read up read up about your your background as well. So um, honored to meet you and and Brett. Great to be great to be back in touch uh, after the bullet campaign. Um, it's been awesome to see your your public service journey as well. Oh, well, thank you so much, Adisha. Tell us a little bit about uh, the, your candidacy and what led to uh, running for Congress. Well, I'm running to inspire public service, and um, that's why I was so grateful for your endorsement from Democrat Serve. You know, I grew up in Orange County, and there are opportunities that were open to me that are not open for everyone. And the reason I'm running is to make sure that they are. For too many people today, I think uh, the American dream isn't as much of a reality as it ought to be. I'm really grateful as an immigrant and also a son of immigrants to have had the opportunities that I've had um, to make the most of myself and, um, you know, to pursue public service now. And I'm running to make sure that the kids growing up in Orange County today have that same opportunity to pursue whatever it is that they're passionate about. Um, and I hope that some of those folks will consider public service too. And Adisha, I know it's a really interesting district and uh, again, a lot of changes from redistricting that happened in California. Can you tell us a little bit about how it's different and uh, the opportunity that exists there for a Democrat to win? Absolutely. It's really exciting. Um, every 10 years, the lines change, as you know, due to redistricting. And um, California has an independent redistricting commission now that looks at this every decade. And so we actually lost a congressional seat at a statewide level and but partly because of that, the lines all changed. And so this district, the new 45th district of California is Artesia, Cerritos, uh, some smaller cities like uh, La Palma, all the way down to Fountain Valley, Garden Grove, Westminster, up to Buena Park and Brea, where I live, over to Placentia and half of Fullerton. So that's the district. And if you know anything about Orange County, you know that all those cities are incredibly different from each other. I mean, there's a huge amount of internal diversity. And so we're approaching this race almost like running, you know, 12 or 15 mayoral campaigns uh, because the needs of people in Garden Grove, you know, if you grew up around here, you know, are, are a little bit different than the needs of people in Artesia and a little bit different than the needs of people in Placentia. And so we're taking a grassroots approach to find out what really matters to people. I think it's a lot about housing, uh, the cost of living, um, you know, economic mobility and a woman's right to choose. But there are a lot of other issues, and we're out there just trying to listen and learn from folks uh, because this district has never been represented in this form. And so nobody really knows how to represent it well. And obviously, 
I'm not happy with the way that the incumbent is listening to people here or, you know, the lack thereof, frankly. If you don't mind, Brett, give me, bear with me one minute here, because I'd, I'd like Adisha to talk about his preparation for, for the seat. You know, I read about you, you're an Orange County native, but talk to about talk to us about like growing up and, and then into your young adult life and what you've done. Three questions, right? Tell us about your background, you know, growing up, experiences, and then as a young as a young adult, young professional, the lapses in government policy that that not so much into policy, but the lapses that that influence you to run. Can you can you give us a for the audience's perspective a little bit about that? Like, why is it that you're running? Well, I was born in Bombay, India, and for the first six years of my life, I lived with my grandparents, and um, you know, we lived in a one bedroom apartment. Um, with a couple other relatives. And every day on the way to school, I'd walk through a slum. You know, um, as anybody who grew up partly in a developing country will tell you, visible poverty is just a fact of life in a lot of these places. And so from a very young age, I had exposure to people who were a lot less fortunate than I was. I mean, we were never, you know, we, we were sort of middle class, um, but there were people who were struggling a lot more. And I would ask my mom about this and I would say, you know, sometimes kids would be playing sort of unattended in the slum. And I would ask her, you know, where are their parents and who's looking after them um, and why aren't more people watching? And so from a young age, I think I had kind of the sense that <clears throat> I was dealt a really good set of cards and that I, I therefore had a responsibility to make sure the people who, you know, maybe didn't have that background, um, had people who were looking out for them. And as I got older, my life, you know, continued to get better. Um, and that imperative to do community service, to do public service and to give back just kept getting stronger. So when I was eight years old, we moved to Southern California. Um, and same thing, right? I mean, there are a lot of affluent places out here, um, but there are a lot of areas where people are struggling. It's just a little bit more segregated. It's a little bit less visible than in a developing country, but, you know, part of the reason why I'm a Democrat is I believe that economic inequality and economic mobility is the defining issue of our time. Um, and I don't see um, enough solutions for that. So I got involved. Uh, I joined the Orange County Red Cross. I worked as a youth leader in high school. Um, I did um, enough community service that I actually got a scholarship to go to Claremont McKenna College from, from Disney. Um, you know, I think a thousand people applied. I, I thought I had no shot. Um, they chose 10 high school seniors. Um, and I was gratefully one of them. So they gave me a good amount of money to go to college just because of the community work that I did. Um, and so that's, that was sort of like, you know, a moment where I thought, Hey, this is actually, you know, not just fun and rewarding, but you know, maybe there's actually a career path here. And so I kind of dug in. And so, I did a lot of student government in college. I started working on democratic campaigns. I started Claremont Colleges for Gavin Newsom. I volunteered for Barack Obama and Suki Kang, who is the first uh, Korean American mayor of a major city um, where I grew up in Irvine. Um, and then how I met Brett is uh, working for one of our alums, uh, Steve Bullock, who's still a friend and mentor, uh, the former governor of Montana and um, you know presidential candidate. And so as I as I got deeper into it, I realized that you know, as much as the community work that I was doing was impactful and important to me, the decisions that really mattered were being made at a higher level um, and that I had to get interested in law and in public policy if I really wanted to 
make a real dent in some of these these issues, economic issues in particular um, that I was seeing out there. So, so after college, I actually took a year off and traveled because I had some of that curiosity going back to the first half of my childhood about the developing world. I volunteered in, in a lot of different places. Um, and then when I started at Harvard Law School, you know, I really had this interest in the intersection of poverty and the political process, you know, and I really went to law school with that question, less so about the law per se, and more about what can we do um, as a government, as a society, to help out those who are less fortunate, and to make sure that they have a path to upward mobility and a shot at the American dream. And so I worked for two years with Nobel Laureate in Economics, uh, Amartya Sen, um, who is Indian as well and a mentor and an inspiration. Um, I studied with two California Supreme Court justices, both of whom were, are very concerned with these issues as well and both progressives. And then I went to Cambridge so that I could study at a deeper level, um, you know, history. I was a history student, sort of where you know, where did we go wrong as a country? You know, so I studied the Great Society, I studied Lyndon Johnson, I studied FDR, and I tried to sort of understand, you know, it's all well and good to want to help people, but what does it really mean for government to be a force for good uh, and not to create dependency, but to create empowerment, um, to actually give people a hand up? Um, and so I became obsessed with those issues. And then when I came back home in 2018, you know, having done all of that, um, I knew I wanted to run because I had known Brad and I had known Steve and I'd known folks who had done it. I wasn't sure how or when it would happen, but I was really passionate about someday finding a way to run um, so that I could bring these issues to the fore. Um, and more and more, I actually see us losing sight of that. I actually see us losing focus rather than gaining focus on some of the economic questions that that I'm passionate about and that I hear voters are passionate about, but I'd, I'd love to refocus on that. Good deal, good deal. Brett, it seems like we set the stage for the conversation. Let's talk about the campaign. What do you say, Brett? You, I know you have some in deep questions about Adisha's campaign, right? So, so Adisha, I mean, fantastic background, obviously, and um, thrilled that you're running. When it comes to the uh, the district and and the makeup of the district, I mean, it's obviously yeah. really unique. the The amount of the electorate that is under the age of thirty five is fascinating, and and more so than um, most districts across the U.S. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, absolutely. So Cal State Fullerton is in the district, um, and one of our team members is a former president of the Cal State Fullerton Democrats. Uh, she's our finance director and has some DCCC experience fundraising as well. We're really grateful to have her. Um, so that's part of it. Um, but a fourth of the registered voters, you know, to your question, are under the age of 35. 30% uh, of the voters are immigrants. They're foreign-born like me. Um, you know, it's very young. It's very diverse, um, ethnically as well as politically. There's a slight Democratic advantage, but it's 30% independent. And the incumbent, as you know, is a Republican. And so, you know, the campaign's going really well so far. Um, what... What I've been stressing to folks who have been excited and supportive and reaching out uh, to help is, you know, I'm a lifelong Democrat and I'm proud to be a Democrat. It's not enough to have a D by your name uh, to win in this district. We have to reach out to people who are disaffected, who maybe don't identify as Democrats, 
but will respond to progressive messages and progressive policies if we make the case for them. Um, and so I've been actively making the case for why progressive policies will reduce the cost of housing, reduce the cost of prescription drugs, will create jobs if we empower and support small businesses and entrepreneurs. And you know what keeps coming up over and over again, in addition to the economic stuff, is women's right to choose. I mean, I'm running against an incumbent who wants to criminalize abortion with no exceptions for rape, incest, and life of the mother, who sent one of her children to a de-indoctrination camp um, you know, related to issues of sexuality. And we're past that in California. I mean, even moderate Republicans in California do not uh, believe that abortion should be illegal. Whatever their personal moral views on the issue may be, vast majority of Americans and the vast majority of people in this district believe that the incumbent does not share our values when it comes to protecting women's right to choose. And so I'm excited about the campaign. Um, it's been great. I am doing my best to focus everybody on public service and on what are the tangible ways in which we're going to improve the lives of families and communities in this district that's incredibly young, incredibly diverse. So as you travel through the district, I, I suspect that your campaign, well, I mean, not to be too presumptive, presumptive here, please correct me if I'm wrong, but your campaign is, is it seems like it's a issues-focused or issues driven campaign, right? And often what we see from Republican candidates is speaking to solutions that don't have problems, right? So as, you, as you're walking down and you're meeting with your constituents, uh, what's been the reception and, and what do you draw? Like, are you, is, your, is your campaign shifting based on the, the continuous shifting landscape of you know, the human suffering, because I, I suspect your community is no different than most across the country that have suffered economically on the, on the, the you know, the hard times that we've had in, because of COVID, right? Worldwide pandemic. Absolutely. So um, I'm on an executive committee of Habitat for Humanity in Orange County, focused on land acquisition and development. And so I spent some time kind of driving around the county looking for, you know, help, basically helping out with legal advice as well as practical work. Um, helping us acquire new land that we could build affordable housing on. But it's not nearly enough. You know, the nonprofit work is not nearly enough. We have to have a role in the government and the federal government in particular. So I've been hearing a lot about housing um, and about homelessness. You know, you mentioned the youth of the district. I mean, if you're under 35 today and you're early in your career, trying to afford a house in Orange County is just incredibly out of reach for the vast majority of people. Um, even rent is tough for a lot of people. Um, it's a really expensive place to live. But even if you're already a homeowner, I mean, I think people realize at a gut level that part of the problem of homelessness, at least part of it, is housing is just too expensive. And we're not building enough. And supply isn't where it needs to be. And so prices are high. And so um, what I, the feedback I've gotten so far is that it's been refreshing to people that I'm focusing on issues. Uh, I think sometimes campaigns get a little bit too much stuck in the mud um, and in uh, the vitriol. And, uh, you know, people after the pandemic are really hurting. Small businesses have shuttered. Um, families have been struggling. We have a mental health crisis uh, across age groups. We have incredible learning loss with our kids, whether they're in college or K through 12. And I'd love to focus on those issues rather than the circus that's going on in Washington, D.C., 
Um, but it's hard, you know, it takes a relentless focus on public service. And so we're trying to do that. Um, and that's resonating, you know, uh, but it's a little countercultural. And so I think it's going to take a little bit of work. And along with the um, issues surrounding the, the just general cost of living um, in your neck of the woods across the country and specifically, I mean, Robert's in Miami and yeah. uh, outside of New York City, uh, difficult everywhere. Um, and, and also to run for, for office, the media markets are so expensive. Yeah. So fundraising plays such a critical role in, in, uh, in your candidacy. Can you talk a little bit about how fundraising is going and um, some, of the, uh, some of the work you're doing on that front? Yeah, fundraising is going great. I mean, we're on track to outraise in, you know, our first month or so what our primary um, competitor um, within the Democratic side raised in their first quarter. Uh, they got in the first week of January. You know, I got in April 10th. And so fundraising is going incredibly well. And I actually think the reason for that is the issues focus. Part of what we're doing also is not just focusing on issues in the message, but we want to do service events as part of the campaign. And so this is the piece that's a little out of the box, but I think will resonate in a district like this, where it's not enough to win with just Democrats, right? Um, so, you know, our idea is that campaigns, candidates should do public service, not just once you're in office. But at least a small part of the campaign and a significant, you know, a meaningful part of the budget should be devoted to doing on the ground events, public service events for the district. So what does that mean? You know, it starts with sort of my bread and butter, you know, as a civil legal aid attorney, I did over 2000 hours of pro bono work um, representing low income tenants and uh, workers applying for unemployment benefits. Um, I've continued that work over the years. So the first thing is I just want to start having clinics, you know, of the kind that I used to do in law school and did after law school uh, where people can come. And I mean, this happens naturally, too, just on the campaign trail. People say, hey, do you have you know, any thoughts on this legal issue I'm facing? And I'll talk about them a little bit. You know, I'm a member of the California Bar. And then if I can't help out, I just refer them to a friend who's an attorney or uh, give them kind of the referral services for the Orange County Bar. And so. That's sort of where we want to start, but we also want to do, you know, college admissions workshops at the local high schools um, when it comes time to apply for colleges in the fall. Um, we want to do stuff on immigration. I mean, I mentioned 30% of the district is foreign born. Um, you know, part of a congressperson's job is to help people who live here navigate the federal bureaucracy. And I'm concerned that people here aren't really getting the help that they need. And part of that is just simply awareness. They don't know that that help even exists. And so, you know, I, I spent a summer doing legal literacy camps. Um, I want to do a lot of that because the truth is that not everybody is going to have a lawyer available to them. Um, either they can't afford it or even, you know, pro bono attorneys are in short supply. And so raising awareness about, you know, what does the congressional office do really? What is your congressperson's job? Half of it is legislation and DC, but the other half, and in my view, the most important aspect of it is actually constituent services, is making sure that people know that you're there for them as a resource and as an ambassador to the federal government. 
Um, and it's not their job, you know, to come to us for help. It's our job as public servants to go to them and to make sure that they know that we exist and to offer that help uh, even before they know that they need it. Um, and so I think that's sort of the next level of this, you know, uh, Brett, and something I would love to keep talking to you guys about is, you know, not just you know, talking the talk about public service, but walking the walk, you know, and showing even as a candidate that, hey, you know, I'm not going to Washington to make a point. I'm going to Washington to make a difference. And if that message gets across, I know that we will win um, because I think that's what the vast majority of people want from their congressmen. Interesting perspective, very seldom heard, um, certainly by those people who seek Congress, let alone the ones that are in Congress. So am I hearing you correctly that not only you're campaigning to provide clinics, but you're also, again, I don't want to be presumptive here, that you're willing to use your office as a resource center for the for the district? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, that's, that's, that's pretty innovative. So what do you, what do you, while we're on that topic, so it's about building confidence, right? Voter confidence. So what do you tell, and I'm sure you've come across the, the jaded voter who is either underperforming, yeah. that they don't come out to vote, or they don't think their vote counts. So how do you tell them to trust you? And what do you intend to do that's obviously from, separate from what you've spoken about, what you intend to do? You know, to be honest, Robert, what I've been saying is that I can't vouch for DC um, and I can't vouch for the establishment. Um, I'm not a member of the establishment and I have no interest in being one. Um, and I point out two things that I believe will make me a change agent. One is that I'm young. You know, I'm 31 at a time when the average age of Congress is pushing 70. And two, I'm an immigrant. I'm a multilingual immigrant. I speak Spanish as well as two South Asian languages in addition to English. And there's something about being an immigrant in this country, um, being born abroad, that makes you not take for granted how good we have it here, but also makes you motivated and energized to make things even better. And so I'm running on change um, because I've lived it. You know, my family's experienced extraordinary upward mobility that wouldn't have been possible if it weren't for my teachers, my neighbors, and yes, sometimes the federal government stepping in to lend us a helping hand. And I wanna make sure that we offer that to every single person who lives in this district. Distrust of government is at all time highs. Um, lack of confidence, as you say, uh, in politicians is at all time highs. What I'm betting on is that people are willing to give me a shot because of my background um, with the hope that I can be the exception to the rule. Um, and I'm taking it upon myself, you know, reciprocally to make sure that our campaign truly is exceptional. So Adisha, can you talk a little bit about in the, I know in Robert knows this better than I do, but as a candidate, day-to-day um, -day just gets to be crazy. Can <laughs> you talk yeah. a little bit about what it's like a day in the life of Adisha Pai right now run for Congress? Yeah. You know, I had a, I had a friend from law school who ran against, uh, I think it was John Katko in uh, upstate New York and um uh, I heard him describe the experience as fun. <laughs> you know, that, that is not the word I would use. Um, you know, it's, it's a hell of a lot of work. It's hard work. It's, it's really meaningful work. There's a lot of meaning in it. And so, um, you know, it requires having a strong delayed gratification muscle. Um, you know, not, not unlike going to law school or studying for the bar, you know, so, um, 
It's extraordinarily energizing. At the same time, it's emotionally exhausting. And it's supposed to be, you know, if you're doing it right, if you're putting your heart and soul into it, you should be exhausted uh, at the end of every day. Um, because if you're not passionate, you know, if you're if you're don't have your emotions invested in it, um, people can tell. People can tell. And uh, you know, it's tough to get a community to emotionally invest in you if you're not emotionally invested in them. I mean, it's a two-way street. And so, yeah, it's it's really hard work. Um, but you know, as you know, Brett, you know, working on campaigns in Montana and uh, worked on a congressional at large in Alaska, um, interned for Senator Warner on the Hill. You know, I knew exactly what I was getting into. I've seen campaigns run uh, well uh, and less well, <laughs> and I know you know what goes into to doing this right. And so we're we're trying to do it right, you know. Um, but yeah, I don't want to sugarcoat it. It's it's really hard work. Right, I think it's appropriate to ask Disha. How often, I mean, how many hours a night do you sleep? You know, it really, it really varies. Um, it really varies. I try to, I try to sleep seven. Um, sometimes it's less, uh, but sometimes that by, that's by choice because my, my days are very social. You know, it's not like, uh, you know, practicing law, a lot of that work is solitary, you know, running for office is extremely high touch, you know, and it's relationships. It's all about relationships. Um, and so sometimes I stay up at night just to process kind of what happened during the day. Um, I probably should be sleeping more than I am, you know, but um, that's really the only time I have to kind of reflect on what happened that day and to get better for the next day, you know. And hopefully is, you know, if you ask my campaign manager, he'd tell you uh, every day I've done this so far, you know, this is day 21 now. Um, Every day I've got I've become a better candidate. And hopefully that continues to be the case. Um, and by the time we get to the primary year away and you know the general in 20 months, you know, I'll be I'll be even better. Um, so I think we're doing well. But um, you know, some of this is also just how quickly can you learn? How good of a listener are you when people are telling you what matters to them? Um, and how easily can you pivot when maybe the issues that you thought were the issues are not what the community really cares about. Um, I think the person who speaks to that is the person who will be the next representative for the system. So what do you like least about being on the campaign trail thus far, Disha? You know, the apathy, I think a lot of people really do care about our democracy. Obviously, you guys are extraordinarily invested. You know, the sad truth is that a lot of people don't. Um, and when I you know, I, I have no issues with personal rejection. You know, that's part of this process. And I do my best to sort of just detach from ego and stay humble. Um, but when I encounter people who truly don't care, <laughs> and there are people like that, you know, um, I get why. I mean, politics is exhausting. You know, D.C. really is a circus right now. But that that really breaks my heart. You know, Um that really breaks my heart. And it does, it does slow me down a little bit when I encounter people, not people who say, you know, I love the incumbent and I'm voting against you. You know, that's, that's fine. Uh, at least they're voting. But um, when I encounter people who say that I'm not even going to vote or um, I've never donated to a political campaign and I'm never going to, that wears me down a little bit um, because it makes me a little worried for um you know, our future and for 
the kids coming up after me uh, who maybe aren't going to get the lucky breaks that I got, you know, when I was a kid in Orange County. So that that wears me down. So I try to focus on the people who really are invested. And I try to go go to them for even more help, you know. I mean, I've done this. I mean, I, I, I've gone to people who are already supporters and said, hey, can you do a little bit more? Because, you know, a lot of people don't want to do anything, um, sadly. And so I know I'm asking a lot, but I actually need you to do even more than you're already doing um, because we because we need that. So I think uh, what I'm getting out of this is we have a young American, young professional American who is an immigrant comes from an immigrant family, but I hear a lot of pride, man. I hear a lot of pride. And that's something that often Democrats are dogged yeah. about, right? Yeah. Um, you grew up in the district, so you're a hometown, literally the hometown hero now. So how do you think an incumbent who does not live in the district, um, how do they like answer or how have they responded? Because actions speak louder than words, right? What actions have defined the fact that the incumbent is not serving the community in in your and and does the fact that the incumbent lives outside the district right? Um, does that affect like what they do for or what she does for for the community or the district? Absolutely, I'll take the second part first. So it shows. The fact that she doesn't live here, has never lived here, and didn't grow up here, it shows in her priorities. Uh, this is a person that is obsessed with the CCP. That is all she talks about. And let's be clear, I believe that China passes- Chinese Communist Party. Right? The Chinese Communist Party. I'm glad that the Select Committee on China exists. Uh, you know, I think Representative Gallagher and uh, Representative Krishnamurthy are excellent people to lead that. I'm following that very closely. Um, we're looking at TikTok and trying to develop thoughtful policy proposals around data privacy and cybersecurity. So I take that seriously. But that obsession is a symptom of a broader problem, which is that she simply doesn't reflect our values. And you see that in the fact that she's not focusing on affordability. She's not focusing on housing. She's not supporting small businesses and entrepreneurs by the way, who are clamoring for her support here, because there's a hell of a lot of them in the district. And the SBA can do a lot. Uh, it's an unsexy committee, but the House does have a small business committee. And as a junior member, I'm going to request a spot on that committee. And I'd probably get it because not a lot of people want to work on that, but it's a need in the district. And so that's why we're focusing on it. And a woman's right to choose. I mean, somebody in California who wants to criminalize abortion with no exceptions for rape, incest, and the life of the mother clearly does not understand what our values are. And so that and a, a hundred other votes she's taken combined with the fact that she doesn't live here, has never lived here, and didn't grow up here tells you everything you need to know. And the word that comes to mind more than anything to me is disrespect. It's disrespect. And, you know, we can disagree agreeably uh, on a host of political issues. But when you disrespect the people who voted for you and pay your salary, that I think should inspire bipartisan outrage. Bipartisan outrage.
And it played a big role in my decision to run because I think that's the absolute least that you owe your community as a public servant is deep respect um, and a willingness to listen and to serve. Um, and I don't see that right now. To the second point, yeah, Robert, I mean, it's it's cool that you pick pick up on that, but you know, I'm I'm very patriotic. I'm very patriotic. I think if you talk to most immigrants of any political persuasion, they tell you the same because I don't take being American for granted. I mean, I became a citizen the same year I graduated college, and I still remember when I got that navy blue passport in the mail. Um, it meant a lot to me. It meant a lot to me. It still does. And um, part of the reason I want to run for Congress um, is I think we need more immigrants at the national level who are progressive, who want to change this country for the better, but refuse to uh, refuse to conflate that with um, not loving this country, you know? I think you can love this country deeply and still want to improve it, you know? We're not a perfect country, uh, but the truth is that people want to immigrate here, you know? This is still the place that everybody wants to go, my family included. And so, you know, I'm going to be at the vanguard of uh, progressive reforms in DC, but um, you're never going to hear me complain about the United States because, um, you know, this country has done more for me than um, I could possibly ever repay. Um, I'm going to try, but, um, you know, I'm very proud to be American. Well, Disha, on the, on the note of improving our country, um, look, you're in a dem you're in a D plus two district. Cook's political reports named it one of the top seventy competitive races across the country. To take back for for Democrats to take back the House and the road has to run through California forty five. Absolutely. Um, to to our audience, to to donors out there, um, can you talk a little bit about why they need to invest in this district? Why investing in your campaign is is, is so important to? Um, not just the district, but overall nationally moving our country forward? In a close election cycle, which 2024 will be, this district could make the difference between Kevin McCarthy being Speaker of the House and Democrats taking over and Hakeem Jeffries being Speaker of the House. I mean, it really could come down to this district. It's going to be a handful of seats. And so, you know, I'll give you a couple of reasons. If you care about protecting women's right to choose, I mean, what I've been trying to say over and over is it's a live issue, even in California, because if Republicans keep the House, flip the Senate and win the White House, you better believe they're going to propose a national ban on abortion. I mean, that is on the docket. And the incumbent I'm running against is supportive of that. And so even if you live in California or New York or Massachusetts or a blue state, you we have to be incredibly vigilant to protect our rights. Um, and so investing in this district, if you care about a woman's right to choose, is absolutely paramount. Um, I'll give you a second reason, um, you know, and that's the economy. I mean, we don't know where the economy is gonna be come November, 2024, but, you know, there's some warning signs with First Republic, you know, going into FDIC receivership and Silicon Valley Bank, I mean, and the tech layoffs, uh, it's starting to affect housing soon. 
these are canaries in the coal mine that should give us, you know, I think rightly a sense of uh, uncertainty and anxiety about the economic picture. And if you care about national economic policy and you care about having thoughtful leaders at the federal level who are looking out for people who aren't already wealthy, because, you know, those folks don't need great public servants. They already have lobbyists. Uh, for people who are still climbing the economic ladder and trying to make it in America, you know, we need good leadership at the national level. And so even if you don't live in this district, uh, it would mean a lot if you invested and you donated and you volunteered um, because our economy is um, on, not on the strongest footing right now. And uh, we need thoughtful policy leaders to pay really close attention to that. Yeah, I think I think California is a critical coastal state. I mean, you guys have seen the brunt, I, I would say the brunt this year of um, natural disasters, right? And actually, the last few years, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Uh, from the flooding to, to the fires to you know, all the other. So, so. What do you tell, just a little aspirational statement, if you will, for the voter in your district that's really doing everything they can to hold on to hope, right? You know, you talk about change. Yeah. We all, we all want to hope. We all, President Obama used to say that, right? Hope is change. You know, I would just point to history, you know. Um, I'm a student of American history, and Whenever I feel hopeless about the future, I tend to look at the past. Um, and that gives me solace because there have been many generations of Americans that have overcome things that are much worse than the challenges that we face right now, coming out of a global pandemic, climate change, and some of the natural disaster events you, men you mentioned, Robert, uh, an uncertain economic picture. And so it's really hard for me to it's really hard to shake my confidence uh, in the American experiment, but it doesn't happen automatically, you know? And so I think that's what I would say to, to folks in my district is we're going to be fine. Everything is going to be fine. You know, let's take a deep breath. Uh, we're going to be good, but you have to get involved. You have to get involved. If you don't vote, if you don't donate, uh, if you don't volunteer, if you don't actively take an interest in our democracy, you know, maybe things will not be fine, <laughs> you know? Um, and so it's hope motivated by action. You know, as long as we're taking action, I think we have good reasons to be hopeful. I think we have good reasons to be hopeful. Well, Adisha, with that, and not wanting to take you away from the campaign trail and call time any more than we have, and can't thank you enough for, for joining us. Um, you have any last words for the audience or Robert, any, any other questions you want to run through? Not for my end. I th you know, I like Adisha to to share his contact, right? In case anyone out there is not, you know, just listening to this in the car or what have you. But please let people know how to contact you, man. Um, and I'm going to end my statement with this. Your country needs you, my friend, my young leader. Your country needs you. So keep up the work. Talk to the people. Do the people's work. And hopefully you will be rewarded with a long political career. Thank you, Robert. It uh, means a lot. Um, yeah, so folks can go to www.pyforcongress.com to get involved, join our newsletter, donate. Please donate. Uh, we need your support. Um, 
And, you know, to contact us, uh, it's just pi, P-A-I, at piforcongress.com. So if you want to email us, send us your thoughts. If you have ideas, policy views, love to hear from you. And thank you. I mean, I think that's all I would add is, is thank you. You know, I'm running to inspire public service. Um, but the reason for that is that, you know, people have inspired me. Um, and, and, you know, Robert, I'd include you in that now. And, and Brett, certainly, you know. Gosh, what is it? Eleven years ago now, um, working as your deputy, doing communications for for Steve. Um, you know, it's experiences like that that brought me to where I am today um, as a candidate. So, so thank you. Uh, well, thank you. I mean, you were fantastic then, and even better now. And this is great for uh, for California forty five and for our country that you're doing this and um, and bringing your public service background to the campaign trail and uh, working for the people. So, thank you so much, Adisha. Robert, as always, thank you. And thanks to everybody listening out there to another episode of the Democrat Serve podcast.